Hello? Oh. Hi, uh, I'm Bethany. I'm a student from UT Arlington, and today I'm going to introduce our student-led Sunday by reading uh, Jonah 3. And it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that the, the great city, and call out against it in the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king, and his robes let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Well, good morning, Park Springs. My name is Mark Johnson. I am the youth director here. Uh, and you might have seen me do some announcements. Sometimes I play the drums, but to, today you're stuck with me for the duration of this sermon. And that is exciting. Am I right? Am I right? And so before we get going with uh, our Jonah, I'd love to give a, just a, a commissioning over us as this is Student Sunday. And it's awesome to have uh, youth, college, and kids up on the stage for our worship, as that is a very big part of our church and our body, uh, the, the young kids and the students uh, of, of God. And so there is a, an amount that Jared, myself, uh, Mandy, and the rest of the staff at Park Springs, as we, we help with the college kids and the youth and the children's ministry, help them lead them into lives lived for Christ. And there's only so much that we can do. And there's a huge opportunity for the body of believers to just come alongside every student, every young person who is in a, a place in their life where things are changing, things are uh, maneuvering around, and for us to just come beside them and love on them and support them. And so that's just my, my ask for y'all is to just come alongside us as a staff, as we try and do that and prepare uh, just the, the youngest kids, the infants, all the way to the college kids looking to go into the workforce. Everyone uh, needs that, that, that helping hand, um, and they welcome it. Sometimes we could be angsty, as myself being a student, we can be like, oh, I don't need that, I don't, I don't want your help, but they need it, right? We need it. We need people who have experienced things, who have gone through things to, to help us along the road. Uh, and I am just asking y'all personally, before we get into Jonah and all the stuff we've prepared for uh, today, just to commission y'all to help us with, with the young kids 
and to shape them and to just take up your mantle that God has called you personally to to help in, in that endeavor. Um, and so that's my student Sunday spiel, and I think that's very powerful for us to all, all hold on to. And as we move into uh, this Jonah uh, passage, and it's, it's going to be ma- just over the entire passage of Jonah, one through four, four chapters, and we're going to hit on three because uh, where we read, what Bethany read for us before is that there's an aspect of 40, this, this idea of 40 days and we see these as times of testing that God has, has brought the people, uh, his people, Israelites and Gentiles later uh, in the New Testament alike, into places of testing for uh, him to work out his, his will and his uh, process for us to that nature. And we're along for the ride, right? God is, has plenty of things in store for us in our lives. And some things we would say are super awesome, thank you God, and some things we're kind of like, ugh. Thanks, thanks, God, I guess, for doing these things. I'm not sure I really enjoy, right? And that's what we're going to be going over in this sermon series of 40, these times of testing that we see throughout the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament alike, uh, that really describe this process of testing, that God is really ha- has it for us in his will to be using these experiences in our life to, to test us and refine us by the fire, per se. And so... I would love to open up with just the fact that I'm grateful to be up here and uh, preaching this morning as I sit in those seats most Sundays, probably for the last 24 years, as it's, it's not really hard to remember how long I've been at this church. I just have to remember my age. And if I've got that, then I'm, I'm in it, right? I'm fine. And so 24 years, I've been at Park Springs, and it's been an honor to grow up in all these student uh, sections of growing up in the children's, growing up in the youth, and then being a part of the college group has just been a blessing, and then eventually becoming a staff member and working with the youth directly and getting to just grow in that experience, because that was a, is, is still a huge growing experience. And I am relatively on the younger side, being 24, and just having not a huge experience to come from in my ministry and my time on staff, whereas I feel like when the other people who are up here preaching on Sundays, uh, Charlie, Jared, Jim... They have lots to pull from, lots of experiences, lots of things they've done wrong, lots of things they've done well, and when you start a sermon, you, you really want a connecting story that I can be personable, that I'm approachable, like, oh, Mark, yeah, I can listen to him. He tells stories as it is, and so that's sometimes how you start off a sermon is a story or something like that, and most of the times, I feel like Jared and Charlie, they have these stories, and it's from a time where they were less wise, but they've had time to mature and, like, really take on the mantle. And after a ton of years, not a ton, but, like, a good amount of years, I really, it was really tough walking this path of how I was going to approach this, of, of trying to be uh, not degrading, because I'm not. They are very wise, and they've had a lot of experience in these types of things, being a church uh, staff member, pastor, uh, Jared being the youth pastor before me as I got to be right underneath him. And their stories that they pull from are from a time ago where they were more immature or spiritually not as strong, right? And I look at all my stories that I can relate the Bible to, and it's like, that was yesterday, you know? (laughs) That was two weeks ago. And maybe I've grown in that day, but ultimately that's just how it feels to have 
Like this story I'm about to go over, it was a year ago, and it's not that I have made just huge leaps of, of I am this mature person standing before you, but definitely my time at Park Springs has, has matured me, and this time on and staff is a huge, uh, just awesome blessing that my life gets to benefit from, having all these trials and tests that God has put in my, pla- my place and in my path. So I am a student at UTA. I have three more classes, so I'm almost there, but a year ago... It was Geology 101, one of my electives, an easy class. I'm not a geology major by any means, so it was just the study of rocks, right? And maybe that's not even what geology means. But to me, it's rocks, right? And you can correct me afterwards if you want, if you are very geology-minded. But ultimately, it was to get the class done, right? Sometimes in college, they give you classes that help you learn your overall smarts, but maybe that's not directly what you want to do when you graduate college. And so sometimes it can seem a little redundant why we're doing these things, but uh, I was in Geology 101. That's what I called it, but maybe it wasn't. And 8 a.m., Tuesday, Thursday, terrible time for a class, but I always register late. That's just how I've done college. So if there's an advice right off the bat, register for classes early, you students, if you're moving into the college time. It's a blessing to not be in class at 8 a.m. and having to get there at 8 a.m., I am a tough person to get up and paying attention at 8 a.m. So when I, I would get there at 8, maybe 8.05 most times on these Tuesday, Thursday classes. I went. I loved. Geology was fun. It was easy. That's probably why it was fun. But most of the things were just memorization. Look at these rocks. It's metamorphic. Awesome. Hundred. Boom. Uh, what is metamorphic? I don't know. Let's not get into it too much. So I, I'm getting to class at a right on time kind of uh, mentality, and there was a, I would say, it's not fateful, a a fateful, let's go with it, Tuesday, when I walk into class 8 o'clock, and everyone normally has their laptops out, normally goofing off, just messing around before the instructor comes in and kind of gets things going, and you kind of walk in, and you're like, hey, Jim, hey, Billy, how are you? Kind of high five, like under, like give me a little high five, and it was not that way that day. And I came in thinking that's how it was going to be, walk in five minutes late or something like that, that it's, it's fine. I, I'm at class at 8 a.m. Everyone has their desk clear. They've got pencils. They've got faces of determination, of worry that they've got this impending doom in front of them. And that's kind of how all tests go, even if you would think it's easy. Most tests give us students anxiety. And I, I would hope you can relate probably um, in those times of maybe having to take written tests. But... I walk maybe a quarter down the the aisle, and I stop, and it hits me. It's like, there's a test today. I have no idea. I need to get out of here. And my immediate response is to turn around and run right out. Not run. I did not run. But briskly walk out of the class, because that means I don't have to deal with it. And I am unprepared. I've been met unprepared, not ready, not having done my three hours of studying beforehand to make myself kind of prepared for a test. And I was left with this sense of, oh my goodness, I got to get out of here. I got to run as fast as I can. And I think that's where we're at in Jonah, where Jonah has this time of testing. And uh, I think you all know how Jonah goes. He runs from God at first. That's the first thing that happens. And I think what we're going to get from this passage today, or what I hope we, we get out of it, is that there is a, an element of God's testing that is removing these distractions in front of us, removing these things we place in our lives to get in the way so that maybe we don't have to face what God is actually truly trying to, to get across to us. And I think 
that once we grasp the fact that God is using these tough times, using these trials, these times of testing for our good, then we can see it in a different light. We can no longer be holding on as tightly as we can to the old ways, but we can be looking to what God has for us in store in these new things he's trying to show us and he's trying to take away these distractions. And so to, to talk about Jonah, we have to uh, recap just kind of what this um, verse is that we're kind of camping out on. And so I'll read Jonah 3, uh, verse 4. Jonah began to go out into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So that's where we get those forty days, right? And that's where we're basically going to camp out, and I'll I'll overview most of Jonah, but here is where I kind of want us to hit. This 40-day period that Jonah has gone to the Ninevites to tell them to repent, and he says, you shall be overthrown. And so when we talk about this, I think I want to leave us with two points, two main points that I'll go over. That's pretty easy, right? I don't have the uh, expertise to be going into 18 different points about, like, one point, like, uh, I think there are other people capable of. I'm going to keep it easy, nice and easy for us, Two points that I think we should dwell on today and this morning and leave uh, thinking about. And so one's internal and one's kind of an external point. And so first off, I think going into this first point, recapping Jonah is helpful. So Jonah, at the beginning, is told by God, go to the Ninevites, they're terrible. You need to go and preach a message of repentance. To Jonah, that means leaving Israel, going to Assyria, the Badlands to the Israelites, probably the people they're fighting. They're they're engaged in wars most of the time. They're fighting over this Syrian country that lies in between. And so to Jonah, that's not really the, the best place. It's not a vacation by any means. He's going to the Ninevites, who are murderers. They are killers. They are uh, stealers. They do all the things in God's good book that He tells us not to do. Right? And they are the the perpetrators of of every single crime that you can think of. It's the the, the worst of the worst. And God is telling Jonah a prophet of Israel to go there, preach a message of repentance because they need it. What does Jonah do? Like me in my geology class, turns straight around. I got to get out of here. I'm not doing that. Uh, I'm going to go to Tarshish, the place you got to go when you're running from God, right? Hops on a boat, goes to Tarshish. Before he gets there, waves are crazy. Storm happens. God sends a storm and the sailors are what in the world is going on? Why is this happening to us? Surely there's a God that's angry at us, and Jonah's kind of asleep, not really with the people being anxious, and so that's kind of a little bit of a warning sign to them, and they think, why is he all resting? It's like he understands what's going on here, and so they cast lots. It falls on Jonah. Jonah becomes the person who everyone's kind of like, what, what's going on? And he is, I'm running from my God, and they're like, oh, there it is. That's, that's who is angry with us, right? Your God, your God that you say you're running from. What's going to happen? And they don't really, they're reluctant to throw him overboard because that's kind of a bad thing to do to people and they kind of have that ability in themselves to judge at least that far in morality's sake. Let's not throw this guy into the raging sea, but Jonah says, no, it's probably what needs to happen, right? It's probably, I'm going to have to take the, the uh, loss on this one or the L as some people say is, I'd like to think us young people say that, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's just me. Uh, but he has to take the L on that one. And he, has to, uh, he gets thrown into the sea, and a giant fish takes him. We know that part of Jonah pretty well. That's the, the big part, is, is Jonah and the whale, right? Or the fish. Jonah, the only bright spot of Jonah is, is his prayer in the belly of this fish, as he offers up a genuine prayer to God. And God says, you get another chance, right? He spits Jonah up on the, the beach, 
and he tells Jonah again, and it parallels chapter 3, just a little bit different this time. Chapter 3, he says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. You don't even need a reason. You, you need to go. Just do it, right? Last time I said they're bad people. They need my repentance, right? They need to repent. This time you oh, disobeyed me once. Just do it, right? You, you've lost my uh, willingness to, to even give you a reason for doing it. I'm God. Do it. And Jonah goes and does it, and it, it kind of parallels that the mom trying to get me to do something, my mom trying to get me to do something when I was younger uh, as it's kind of nice at first. It's kind of like, hey, Mark, could you, like, go clean your room? It's like, yeah, Mom, I'll do that, you know? Like, oh, it's dirty. People are coming over. Yeah, Mom, I'll go do that. And slowly, the, the seventh or eighth time, yeah, I can't imagine y'all would believe that that would be something I would do and am capable of, but seventh or eighth time, Mark, you're doing this, okay? It's no longer, I'm not asking, I'm, I'm telling you to do it. And I go and do it, because all of a sudden my mom means business, right? And uh, I'm not trying to mess with that side, right? I'm not trying to get in trouble. I have overstayed my leniency. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Jonah preaches this message of repentance, right? This verse 4. He just says this phrase all over the city, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We see these people come to repentance miraculously, almost unbelievably coming to repentance in, in God and repenting. And I think it's very cool to see in verse 9, the king, at first it's the people of Nineveh, but then the king pioneers it. And he says in verse 9, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger that we may not perish. Who knows? You know, I don't understand this whole God thing, but this guy comes and tells us that we, we need to repent. Let's repent. Who knows? Maybe there's a chance that this God is compassionate and this God will, will turn from his destruction and curb from his, his destruction. And we see after that, Jonah is not the happiest camper after God relents and God has compassion on the people of Nineveh. God's kind of, or Jonah was kind of angry at the fact that God relented. He's like, these people are bad. They need bad things to happen to them. I'm good. I'm from your people, God. You should do what I want to do, right? You should have these people be smited, right? Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah type stuff, fire and brimstone raining all over them. And God is a compassionate God and he shows mercy on them and uh, relents in this destruction. And that, in verse 4, we see it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. So we get this picture of Jonah before God tells him to do stuff or while he's telling uh, Jonah to do stuff. He's not very happy. He's defiant, right? He doesn't want to do it. And after he does what God tells him to do, he's angry. He's angry of what God did when he was told to do it. And I think that's where we can very much relate to as we see uh, ourselves in Jonah a lot. And, and my first point is uh, our posture towards times of trial should be open to God's guidance and correction. Our posture towards times of trial should be open to God's guidance and correction. What does posture mean? It's, it's how we come before. It's how we make ourselves available to God, right? And I think we can very much relate that to the, the form of worship, right? As Ray was leading us, as the kids were helping lead us in worship, how do we receive God's presence? How do we stand before God? Is it slumped over with our hands in our pocket, not thinking about it too much? Like, I'm not ready for what God's trying to tell me. I'm not sure I want to worship God today. Is it sitting uh, down, right, and ignoring the fact that we're worshiping the God, uh, our creator, who has, has made us like this, who has given us such bountiful blessings? Um, 
Or are we standing there open-handed, right, ready for whatever God is going to do for us? Maybe you've seen these people who worship. Uh, I know I do it when I'm very much led and, and I'm no longer thinking about things myself, but I'm thinking about things godly. I can't do anything but, but put my hands out before me and say, God, do what you must, right? Our posture before God is very important. And I think we can see Jonah doing it very uh, improperly, right? A, a great example of what not to do. To not meet times of testing with anger beforehand and after and also during, right? And we should be ready and having a mindset and a posture of being ready for what God is trying to do in our lives. Ready to tackle whatever task he's put before us, ready to tackle the test he has before us. And I think that's very much relatable to our posture and we can think about it through worship. And maybe you see that person who has their hands up and you're like, what are they doing? And it, it is a form of surrender to God. That's where we want to be when God is testing us. We want to be in complete surrender to him. It's our internal posture we can take to say, God, I'm ready and I'm willing to see whatever you're about to do to us. So it's our posture towards times of trial. We should be open to God's guidance and correction. And so that's my first point. That's the internal point, our posture. Have that be uh, digesting that while we move into the external factor. I think both are important to take away from Jonah to kind of see what God is telling us about times of testing. And so my second point leads us to the, the comparison of who Jonah is and the Ninevites. We have two driving topics in this passage, right? We have Jonah who's disobeying and we have the Ninevites who are repenting. And they are yielding to this God who has come and told them to repent or they will be destroyed. And I really want to camp out for pretty much the remainder of this on this word overthrown. And Jonah comes and says, you have 40 days or Nineveh shall be overthrown. And what does overthrown mean for us? And it's important uh, to, to relate this scripture that's in English to our, our Hebrew uh, translation and I don't know about y'all, but I've noticed people do that pretty often as they relate and say, this is the Hebrew word for this, or this is the Hebrew word for that. And I'm sitting there like, what? (laughs) What's Hebrew, right? And maybe that's not you. Maybe you've nailed it and you speak perfect Hebrew, if it can even be spoken. I think it can. Maybe that's Latin. It can't be spoken. Anyways, let's pass. Let's move past that, right? (laughs) Uh, But there, there is a deeper meaning to these words because this was originally written not in English. And so if we we translate it, we can see that there are meanings to things that maybe we didn't catch the first time. And so the overthrown uh, overthrown in Hebrew is hafuk, and destruction is raha, repentance is teshuvah, right? And we see that overthrown has this dual meaning of both destruction, raha, and repentance, teshuvah. And teshuvah kind of means return. And so you have this opportunity that God gives us to be destroyed or returned to him. And we see that paralleled with Jonah and the Ninevites. Jonah has this opportunity to do what God is calling him to do as God's chosen people, to follow through on what God has told him, and he runs. He decides to, to, to get out of there, right? Really quickly, I got to get out of here. Eventually he does it, but defiantly, reluctantly, and then he's mad afterwards. And it's, it's sad to see Jonah in chapter 4, there is not a whole lot of resolution for Jonah. We see that it kind of ends off with Jonah being kind of mad, kind of angry that, that God did this. And it's, it's a little sad for me personally as I read it. A lot of scripture has a lot of just 
a theme of, of change, people changing. But we see Jonah, he stays defiant in his ability, not, not lack of ability to see that God could save anyone he, he pleases to. And that's where we find ourselves, is we have this ability to, to yield to what God is trying to do in our lives, to say, God, do what you must, or we will be overthrown, or we will be destroyed. And I have one good example of, of what that looks like, and it's the gospel, right? Have we heard of the gospel before? I would hope so, as we are here for, for almost the reason of Jesus, right? That we are here in church just to learn more about Jesus, to grow closer to Jesus, to who he is, to how he has saved us, to how we can follow him and imitate him in a better manner. And so what, what happened from the beginning? God created us, sin entered the world, Satan, the serpent, decided to uh, trick us, and we definitely were ready to do that, to go against God's will, and from that point forward, sin entered the world, that's where we sit currently, is with sin in the world. God then sent Jesus as a, a means to overthrow our lives, that we could never do it on our own, to go against sin and to get back to God. We could never do it ourselves. We needed someone to intervene. We needed a savior. Enter Jesus, beginning of the gospels. We see Jesus live a life of perfection, always striving more wisdom, all these good things that we, we talk about on church or at church on Sundays and then kind of we toss them out because we forget, right? That's our mind. Our human nature is to forget things that we hear and unless we really drive them home. And so we and our sinful selves could not do it ourselves, but Jesus lived a perfect life, eventually being killed on the cross for our sins by us in order to take that as a sacrifice and to cover our sins so that when God sees us, he can see his resurrected son that three days later he rose again to cover our sins. And we are in the lead up to that, right? As, as we have weeks, accountable weeks before... Easter kicks off, and that's what we celebrate. We have Good Friday, the death of Jesus, and we have Easter Sunday, the, the risen sun, three days later. And that's where we're leading up to in these times of trials, right? That God is preparing us for that moment. He prepares Jesus. We'll talk about that. Uh, he prepares Jesus with 40. He prepares the Israelites with 40. All these moments of 40 that he is preparing us for overthrowing and reestablishing his connection with us that was in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. And it's very clear that Jesus has not come to just say, hey, you did all right, right? Uh, you lived your life well enough. Um, you did good. You loved people more than you hated people. No, he has come to overthrow our lives. Everything we hold on to, everything we want to keep tight to the vest, everything we want to hold on to so tightly so that we can feel comfortable and at ease. God is trying to overthrow that. Jesus is trying to overthrow that. And so my second external point is inevitably God will overthrow our lives one way or another. It's a bit uh, hostile sometimes when you just read it as that, but I think that's important to just have that sit up there. God will overthrow our lives one way or another. And I didn't come up here to preach fire and brimstone to all of y'all. I don't think that's my personality, is to really be uh, the person who is going to tell you uh, all the bad things. I want to camp out on the good things, but, but really the gospel tells us that if we do not relent and turn from our sinful ways, God will 
choose those who have turned into Jesus, right, who have followed Jesus and said, I'm ready, Jesus, to, to go with you wherever you lead me. And those who don't have Jesus will face eternal condemnation in hell. Like, that's a part of the scripture that we should not avoid. And so in this term uh, of overthrowing, that's our, our consequence if we do not repent. And it's what Nineveh's consequence was if they didn't repent. It was an overthrowing, a destruction, or turn and follow me. So we have that opportunity to turn and follow Jesus the way he has led a life in the Gospels for us to follow. And so how do we feel about God overthrowing our life? If you ask me, if, if Jared walks up to me on a, a normal weekday, we're at the church and he pats me on the back and says, uh, Mark, God's going to overthrow your life. And it's like, okay, <laughs> thanks, Jared. That's real nice. Uh, we don't really take kindly to that verbiage, overthrowing. I do all right. I live my life well enough. I, I do all right for myself. You know, I smile. I'm kind of funny, maybe a little bit. And I think maybe sometimes that's enough to get me through day to day my living uh, on this earth. But there is that call, and it's not from Jared. It's, it's from God, ultimately. That call every single day saying, let me overthrow your life. Let me overthrow your life, or you will meet destruction. It is a consequence we will face if we truly read this book end to end and say, I believe that this is God's inerrant, in uh, no blemish in this word at all. If we really truly believe that, that is what we face if we do not turn from God. And it is a, a happy thing because we have the ability to turn. People who did not deserve it, people who did not earn it in any means. We've not done anything to measure up to what Jesus has done for us. And ultimately, we have this access to him through Jesus that God has given us and is a huge blessing. We have to be willing to do it every single day, day in and day out, saying, God, overthrow my life. Constantly, I'm trying to establish things in my life that are not of you, that are trying to keep you out. Constantly, Satan is trying to build structures in my life that, that distract me or are an obstacle from viewing you wholeheartedly and with my full eyes. And we have to say, God, I'm ready for you to take that away from me. And I personally have met plenty of people who you meet immediately. And maybe it's not immediately, but you talk to them and you realize they have been letting God overthrow their lives day in and day out. They are not holding on to all the things they care about. They're okay with giving them up. They're okay with giving them up all for the sake of God's glory. And I hope you have those people in your life, people that you can try and imitate. Ultimately, Jesus is that perfect example. No one else can ever be that perfect example. But I have people who have been in my life leading me who it's apparent, and not perfectly, but it seems every day they're ready to give up the things that they have been building in their own life. Their, their human nature is trying to uh, build up in their lives to, to overthrow it. And it is a blessing for me to have those people to say, man, I wish I could be like them, right? What does it take to be like them? And it takes a posture of saying, I'm ready for God to do what he must. I'm ready for God to send me through hell, per se. Uh, send me through the worst of the worst so that I can come out with less in between me and God. Less keeping me from God so that I could see him and I could follow him clearer and more ready for him. And uh, I and my lovely wife, Laura, who led the... Uh, kids in worship this morning. We got married like six months ago. That was pretty cool. 
maybe the greatest thing to happen to me other than Jesus saving my life, right? Really a great thing. And we have both given up sugar for Lent. So it's been tough because I love Dr. Pepper. And it's something that I really, like with dinner, it's something I need, need almost, right? And so it's been really rough as I sit there and I like to like, I don't do this, but like print out a page of Dr. Pepper and like sit there rocking back and forth. With Laura's like patting me on the head. It'll be okay. <laughs> that doesn't happen, but it, I like to think of it like that. And that's what Lent is for, right? We uh, observe it. We give up things as a, an example of how we can get rid of, practically get rid of things that are in between us and God. And maybe sugar, getting rid of it, is not going to just really revamp my whole spiritual life. But is this posture of saying, I'm willing to do this, so that I can keep doing it more often. So that it doesn't take 40 days before Easter to say I'm willing to give up things that put themselves in between me and God. So it's not necessarily that sugar is really from Satan, right? And it's not really driving me to sin. But when I have a reliance on it, even the smallest, it's probably bigger than being small for me personally, but even the smallest thing, if we're not ready to say, God, I'm willing to give it up so that I can see you clear, so that I can follow you in a more impactful way for, for yourself, then we need these things to happen in our life. We need to have structures that say, hey, give up something for these 40 days, right? Give this up. This should be how you should be walking before God all the time. And so as I, I close and kind of end as, uh, this sermon in this passage, uh, I have two verses, uh, I guess it's four, two different type or sections of verses that I want to read in Psalm, Psalms that helps us understand what that life, living after Christ, ready for every test and trial, what that looks like before us. And I want to, uh, you can turn, it'll also be on the, the screen, Psalm 26, one through two, as I turn there myself. So Psalm 26, 1 through 2. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. And who is saying this? It's David. David's the best of us, right? He had his, his flaws, but he, he truly did seek God in a, a very true and genuine way. And he in himself is saying, first, I've walked in my integrity. I've done good. You know, like I'm not perfect, but I've done good. I have walked a good walk. I have walked in my integrity and I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. So we, should he still be testing himself? I'm not sure. I mean, maybe he's, he's good enough to not need any more testing. No, David still has this call in his heart, this desire to lift up to God. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Even where I'm at, following you so closely, God, still, there's stuff that's keeping me from you. Take it from me. Get rid of it. Test my heart and my mind. Try me. Just try me, God. I don't know what it is. Sometimes we don't know what it is for the most part. I don't know what things in my life are keeping me from God. It takes a posture of being ready for God's testing, and it takes an understanding of how God is overthrowing us to observe what these things are keeping us from God and to act on them in a form of giving them up, giving them to God by getting rid of them, by taking them away so that we can clearly see 
God in his glory and his splendor. And we see David, even at his heightened closeness to God, is still wanting that, still asking that. And we are not where David's at. Personally, I am not. I have a lot of changing I have to do. I have a lot of being ready for God to shape me and mold me. And it it touches on what Jim talked about last Sunday, if you were here, when he preached a, a message on being ready for God to use the changing tools, to, to use the, uh, the hammer, not us. When, when we're holding the hammer, that's not good news for us because we're not that great at building things. Uh, architecturally, we might be, but spiritually and in our own lives, it's really tough for us to build up things. Almost impossible. I'd say probably impossible for us to put ourselves in a position to glorify God. We need God to be doing the, the changing, right? We need God to be holding the tools, ready to chip away at everything that obstructs our view of who God is. And we've got to be ready for that, like David, in need of it, probably more than David does, ready to face the things God is putting in our lives, because he will, in- inevitably, he will overthrow our lives one way or another, And if you're blindsided by it, it's hard to change that way. It's real easy to go, ah, whatever, you know, God, why are you doing this to me? How often have you faced the question, I have plenty of times where someone says, if if I'm good, why do bad things happen to me, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? And sometimes we're stumped by that question. Well, I don't know, God is good. So if you're good, maybe good things should happen to you. We're not perfect. We have a long way to go. God is trying to chip away at things in our life and he uses the experiences we have in the world to do so and to change us. And we need to be ready for it and willing for it. So that's Psalm 26. Psalm 139 is where we're going to flip over to. Just uh, skip across Psalm as we close with, with this verse. Psalm 139, 23-24. And uh, we, we should know it. It's a, a popular verse as we read it. Um, Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, you see, try me again, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, try me. Do what you must. I'm sitting here. Hands open, arms high, heart abandoned, as the song says, if, if you know that song. And God is, is wanting us to have a posture ready for him to work in our lives, ready to chip away at whatever thing is keeping us, whatever things are keeping us from him and seeing him more intimately. So I want us to, to take that away, to leave from here saying, I'm ready, or at least I want to be ready. I want to figure out how to be ready. I want to read more scripture. I want to pray more. I want to be in a position to where when life gets flipped upside down, which it will be, I want to be ready for what God's trying to do through that instead of dwell on how bad it is, right? Because it's bad giving up sugar. It's not fun. Let me tell you. It's probably a little more healthy, and and that's a side note, but ultimately it is a, a posture of saying, God, I'm ready to do what you want me to do. I'm ready to give up what you want me to give up. And so that's where we close. And I want us to leave with that. Um, I'm going to pray for us real quick as we get back into a, a worship to close us out. Um, would y'all bow y'all's heads with me as I pray? Father God, thank you for sending Jesus on the cross for my sins. 
Before I knew you, I was aware that things were not the way it should be. I was aware that that I do things wrong. I was aware that the world is a broken place. But I didn't understand why. I didn't understand how. But with you, I know that things are the way it is because we have taken the step to break away from God and you took steps to come back to us. And now you ask us to open our hands to be servants and humble before you as we take on the mantle of saying, God, I'm ready to do what you have in store for me. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to be overthrown. I might not like it. I might not be ready for it all the times. But God, I know that it's for my good. And I want you to have your way because you're God. And you are amazing. And you are um, perfect in every way. Me being imperfect. God, it only makes sense that I would trust in you and not in my own abilities. God, we thank you for each day that we get to do this. We get to live and walk in your path. God, we thank you just for your abundant grace through Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.